Hi, my name is Mark. Throughout the series, we'll read each psalm as a call and response. If you are able, please stand as we read Psalm 139, 1 through 6, and 13 through 18. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my walks from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before the words of my tongue, O Lord, you know it. You pursue me behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it is you who form my inward parts. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know me very well. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All my days How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's remain standing as we pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that we have your Holy Spirit to speak these words into our hearts. And so we pray this morning as we listen that you would do your work, that you would open our eyes to behold Jesus, you would open our ears to hear your voice, you would open our hearts and minds not only to comprehend, but also to be transformed and to be changed, to be conformed to the image of your son. We pray these things in his name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Glenn Packium. I have the joy of serving as the pastor here at New Life Downtown. A very happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in the room this morning. Yes, yes, yes. We will have more to say to celebrate you and indeed to celebrate all the women in our church family this morning. We've been in a series on the Psalms, and I hope you see even from our subtitle, we've called this Psalms the language of our faith. And this, the, the collection of these songs and prayers are meant to shape our language as we approach God. And so we've had Psalms that put the language of lament in us. We've had Psalms that have put the language of praise uh, on our lips, and we've had Psalms that have taught us how to pray in difficult moments, praying when we're rebuilding our life after the ruins, praying when we find ourselves living in a kind of exile. And this morning, we're looking at Psalm 139 together. It is maybe one of the most intimate psalms in the whole collection. Out of the 150 psalms, this is a psalm that deals with a longing that is deep within us as human beings. Now, it may be that the greatest songs and the greatest movies and the greatest stories move us in the way that they do because they touch on this profound longing. It's the longing to be known and to be loved. 
And very often our levels of engagement in human relationships and human intimacy has to do with how we dial up those two things, being known and being loved. In fact, most of us become convinced at an early age that you can't have both that you can't be known and be loved. And so what we learn is we learn the little game to play. We learn how to be the good child so our parents will love us. And so we withhold, in a way, a sense of being known for the sake of being loved. And so we might dial it down and say, well, I don't want them to really know who I am, and so I'll put on this face, or I'll put present in this way, or I'll learn these behaviors, or I'll do this and that, because I'd rather not be known as long as I can be loved. And other times we might go through, maybe you have a story where you went through sort of a a more rebellious phase or whatever it might be, and you say, well, I don't care who knows me, I'm going to be me, you know, and I'm going to be fully myself and let the world know who I am, even if it means being rejected. And so we might trade off and say, I'd rather be known and not be loved than not be known at all. And Psalm 139 shows us a God who wants to put both of those things together for us. Maybe for the first time in your life, God in Psalm 139 shows us his desire to to fully know us and fully love us. If you turn with me to Psalm 139, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen or maybe you have an app that you can follow along through. Listen to some of these verbs in the first six verses of the psalm. Lord, you have examined me. How's that for an opening verb? Examined me. You know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. Even from far away, you comprehend my plans. This is one of my favorite verbs. You study my traveling and resting. I mean, look at that. That just sounds like, whoa, it's a little bit too much, God. You're studying my habits. You are thoroughly familiar with all my ways. There isn't a word on my tongue, Lord, that you don't already know completely You surround me front and back. You put your hand on me. And then the psalmist says what we're all feeling right about now. That kind of knowledge is a little too much. It's too much, Lord. Like, wow, this all-consuming fire, this radiant light that exposes everything. It's too much for me. It's so high above me that I can't fathom it. And the first thing I want us to see from Psalm 139 is that God knows us. There's no hiding. There's no need to come to God with your church face. There's no need to sort of put on your Sunday smile and say, blessed are you, O Lord God Almighty. He already, he's like, I know you. You don't talk like that. I already know. Like, who are you trying to fool? Right? Or, or, or you know, like, <laughs> the moments where we're, we're doing all kinds of other things and then all of a sudden it's like time to pray and so, okay, we open the Bible and all this holy face comes over us. God's like, who are you fooling? Like, who is that for? Because it's not for me. I already know. I already know. And then the psalmist goes on in verse 7 and he says, where could I go to get away from your spirit? I love this. This is like the opposite of Romans 8, Right? Romans 8, Paul says, nothing can separate us from your love. It's such a wonderful thing. The psalmist doesn't say, nothing will ever separate me from your presence. He says, where can I go to get away? (laughs) I mean, mean, what a peculiar wording of this. I mean, imagine all you parents in the room. Imagine if your child said to you, mom, don't worry. Where can I go in the house that you won't find me? (laughs) You'd say, I'm sorry, what are you up to again? 
And Jane, our five-year-old, will sometimes say, don't worry, just so you know, I'm in the basement, I've got glue and scissors and paper and some of my clothes, but don't worry. <laughs> like, too late, already worried. What's going on, right? The psalmist says, where can I go to get away from your spirit? Where can I go to escape your presence? If I went up to heaven, you would be there. If I went down to the grave, you would be there too. If I could fly on the wings of the dawn, stopping to rest only on the far side of the ocean, even there your hand would guide me. I think every mother in the room with small children knows this feeling, right? Where can I go to escape my child? Shall I go to my bedroom and close the door? Even there you are with me. <laughs> Should I try to find peace of quiet in the bathroom, perhaps to take a shower? Even then you are knocking on the door. Should I fly in the minivan to Target or Bed Bath & Beyond? Even there your hand is there to guide me. <laughs> we know this inescapability. Oh God, help. And the psalmist says, even there your hand will guide me, even your strong hand hold me tight. And then in verse 10, Oh, verse 11, if I said the darkness will definitely hide me, the light will become night around me. Even then the darkness isn't too dark for you. What a beautiful phrase. Even then the darkness isn't too dark. It doesn't scare you, God. Nighttime would shine as bright as day because darkness is the same as light to you. The second thing Psalm 139 says to us about God is that God is with us. With us with us. And even though the psalmist is not quite sure, there's a bit of ambiguity about this. Is this presented as a good thing or a bad thing? It's kind of both. Someone asked a seminary professor, said, look, is this good or bad that the psalmist can't escape God? And one of the students said, I suppose it depends on what kind of student you are or what kind of person you are, you know? If, 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 you're, if you're living in a particular way, you'll say, oh, I love this God. What a delight. You're always with me. If there's things you don't quite God, want God to see, you might be like, right? Is he a consuming fire or a radiant light? It just depends on how you might be living at the moment. The famous poem by Francis Thompson written in the late 1800s, The Hound of Heaven, was written based on Psalm 139. It describes God chasing us down in order to capture us with his loving kindness and with his salvation. See, I think what we see from Psalm 139 is that God knows us and God is with us so that he can do his work in us. Listen to the next few verses, verse 13. You are the one who created my innermost parts. You knit me together while I was still in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you that I was marvelously set apart. Your works are wonderful. I know that very well. My bones weren't hidden from you when I was being put together in a secret place. You see the way he's working this metaphor here? Hidden place, secret place. When I was being woven together in the deep parts of the earth, your eyes saw my embryo, and on your scroll every day was written, that was written that was being formed for me before any one of them had yet happened. God, your plans are incomprehensible to me. Their total number is countless. And if I tried to count them, they outnumber grains of sand. If I came to the very end, I'd still be with you. Now, earlier in the psalm, the psalmist says, you are with me. Now he says, I am with you. And this is his poetic way of saying, God, I'm going to embrace your inescapable presence. Since you already know, and since you're already here, 
I'm going to welcome you. Sometimes people say in church, why do we say, come Holy Spirit? Well, isn't God already here? Of course he's already here. But it's our way of saying that his presence is welcome. It's our way of saying, it's not just a, a fact of your omnipresence that you're here. We actually want to welcome it. And so the psalmist says, I'm, I'll still be with you. It's not just that you're with me and you're like, oh gosh. But I'm saying, okay, God, I'm with you. God knows us. God is with us. And the final piece of Psalm 139 says to us that God is forming us. God himself is forming us. Let's talk about some of the language in these last few verses of the psalm. The language of a womb is a metaphor to us of the secret and hidden place. It's a picture to us of all the ways that God works that are hidden from the rest of the world. This is why as Christians we have a long history of, of believing that life begins right here in the womb. That life doesn't begin when it becomes visible or when it becomes valuable or when people can see that, oh, you're a person. Life begins even in the hidden place. And there's a sacredness to that there because even there God is at work. And it says to us that actually all the secret places of life can become sacred places. All the secret places can become sacred places. And so you think about David, the shepherd boy on the fields where nobody noticed him, where his brothers ignored him, where his father almost forgot about him. And God says to the prophet, ask if there's someone else. And there's one more hidden away. Or Jesus being born outside of the city here in Bethlehem, not quite in an inn, and you're saying, well, why, why there? Why not somewhere more central? Why not somewhere more public? Because God's trying to say to us, sometimes he does his best work in hiddenness, in hidden places. And so many of you might be in seasons in your life right now where you would describe it as an in-between season. You're like, well, I'm not quite there. I'm not quite where I want to be, and this is sort of tucked away, and this is sort of hidden, and this is, this is sort of secret, this is sort of quiet. I want you to take heart this morning because it is exactly there where God is doing his best work. Amen. It's precisely in those secret places that can become sacred places where God is working on you, where God is forming you, where God is putting things together for you. And I want to say specifically to moms that some of your best work is the work that no one will see. And some of your best work is not the stuff that's put on display. They, they may not make billboards about what mothers do, but the living testimony of your life of investment into your children are the, the beings that spring up all around the world. These are the living witnesses to the work that God is using you to do. Amen. I also want to say that the womb is not an incidental metaphor in Psalm 139. I don't think the psalmist is, is being random and saying, oh, what could I figure out here? I need something to illustrate God's hidden work. Oh, the womb. Let's use a womb. I think there's something here that is deeply within the consciousness of the people of God, that women have a particular role in nurturing and cultivating the life of God. And you think all the way back to Genesis when the woman Eve is called the mother of all living things. And so I want to say to us this morning that women have a particular calling to cultivate the life of God, Amen. to be cultivators. Now, I know whenever I, as a guy, stand up here and, and decide to say something about how, a particular calling for women, immediately you're like, eh, why, why, why are you saying this, right? So in a moment, I will be joined by two women who will say more about this. 
But I also understand that this is, a, this is a tricky age that we live in because we have a long history of taking what is unique and particular to women and using it against them, right? And so sometimes women have been told, well, listen, this is a unique thing. This is how you're designed. And so just stay over here. Don't work. Don't worry about spiritual gifts. Don't worry about serving. Just stay over here. It's a tragedy to take the uniqueness of a woman and use it against her, right? We believe in the rest of the scriptures that the first witnesses to the resurrection were women. We believe that they were the ones who were allowed to go and tell the others about Christ. We believe that this Holy Spirit is poured out on sons and daughters, right? And so we believe in this. We believe in the life of men and women together in the church, lifting up the name of Jesus, ministering out of the gifts of the Spirit. So we don't want the uniqueness of women to be used against them. But can I just say, there's another error that's tempting to fall into, and that is to say, okay, then let's erase the uniqueness or distinctiveness between male and female. And we don't want that mistake either. We don't want the mistake of saying, well, look at all the things that through the, through the Spirit and through the risen, risen Christ, women can do this and do this and do this. And so therefore, does it really matter what's unique or particular? Now, hang on a minute. We can't go that far either, right? And so what we have to sort of hold together is to say, there is an amazing life of, of ministry and calling that can be lived out in many contexts for men and women. And there is a particular calling upon women to be cultivators of the life of God. This is significant. It's significant because today, on Mother's Day, I want us to celebrate and honor mothers. And I want us to celebrate and honor all the women in the church. That there's, to say to you, there's something special about who you are as a woman, that God has placed within you to be a cultivator of his life in people around you. So you might be a single woman here today. Some of the things that you'll hear, you'll think, how can I cultivate the life of God in the friendships that I have, in the relationships that I have, in, 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 in the, the roommate situation? That might be tougher, but you can still do it, right? And others of you, you might be married and, you're not, and you don't have children yet. This, this still the challenge is to say, Lord, how can I be a cultivator of the life of God within me? How can I embrace and welcome the particular, the uniqueness of the call on our lives. And so I want to invite to join me this morning my wife, Holly. Welcome her as she comes. And I want to invite our dear friend, Lisa Beck, to come to the stage. Welcome Lisa as she comes. And now I, many of you have heard uh, from my wife before. Holly and I have been married for uh, 17 years this summer. We have four kids, ages 13, all the way down to five. Um, Holly um, serves at the church part-time, just a few hours a week as the parenting ministries director. Um, she has given the best of her time and energy and gifts to uh, raising our kids. She homeschools them and uh, also runs on the side this podcast and, and uh, ministry called Story Formed, where it's about finding the right books to cultivate character in kids. And then Lisa is a speaker for a ministry called Ransom Heart, and she has a number of, a variety of roles that she's held uh, in her life. She and her husband, Brad, uh, have raised three kids. And, and Lisa also, during one phase of your career, was a preschool teacher and had three out of our four kids in her preschool class. So... I've asked Lisa to refrain from embarrassing stories today. Uh, Lisa, would you? <laughs> Here, let me help you with that. Yes, there we go. 
Lisa, would you just say a few words of introduction about your family and about your life and journey? Yeah. Sure. Um, Brad and I were married three, 33 years ago, and soon after that had three children, three children in three and a half years. And in that time, um, which is crazy in itself to have three kids under four, but uh, our second child, so our first child, Bree, married, lives in California. Um, our second child, Maddie, was born with a, an abundance of special needs. And we say there's really nothing special about the needs other than that they were constant needs. We changed that special needs to constant needs. Um, it's a hard road when you're parenting a child with special needs. And then we have Chris, and Chris is living here in town, recent A&M grad, and lives and works here in town. Lisa, say, you, this, earlier this morning in the first service, you said you guys had this internal thing. Your first child was your mild. Our, our first child was our mild child, that child that made you think that you were a rock star parent, <laughs> and that we you got had it figured this, out. and yeah. we are going to do this again, and then the second child came, and even beyond her special needs, she was a handful. Um, she, we called her our wild child, and she gave us a run for our money. Um, Maddie passed away uh, nine years into her life, and then uh, we called Chris our smile child. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so for both of you, this is how I would like to open it up today. I've been saying that uh, the part of the unique calling for women is to participate with God in this unique way of cultivating his life. How about for each of you in your journey, did you always think of motherhood in this way or, or was there a moment when you sort of began to think of motherhood in this way? Um, and, and tell me a little bit about that journey. Holly, you start first. Um, I think in the beginning, no, I definitely wasn't thinking about that. When I was pregnant with our first child and into that first year, it was more of survival mode of, you know, all the basic things like feeding and <laughs> cuddling and nurturing and um, helping them to just be happy some of the time. Um, and so it was, I just hadn't, no, I wasn't thinking about that yet, but I happened to meet a couple women who... Um, helped me to kind of see beyond what was right in front of me at the moment and helped me to see that I could have a vision for this in my life. And I was able to to watch them with their children and kind of give me hope and give help me to see the light beyond what I was going through. And I think some of the things that I learned in that process was that, well, I like the metaphor that Glenn shared about um, just thinking of ourselves as uh, like cultivators of soil and that our children's hearts are kind of like that, that we're digging up this soil and hopefully we're, you know, asking the Lord to show us how to plant these seeds along the way of goodness and beauty. And, um, you know, there's moments, you know, where I had a lot of joy in doing that, where, you know, we'd be outside and seeing the mountains and, you know, saying, look at this season, look at these beautiful flowering bushes and trees. And, you know, the next moment someone's throwing a tantrum and you're like, I want to run away and not deal with this. Right. <laughs> that was kind of my tendency was to freeze in moments of screaming or um, just difficulty. 
And so I really think that God is in all of that, right? That um, the Holy Spirit can lead us to see his goodness and he can lead us through extreme difficulty and tension and mm. fighting and, and all of that. And I think if we help our kids to see that in the day-to-day, -day, that, mm. that God is really living and breathing and there with us, mm. um, the Holy Spirit's there with us in the day-to-day, -day, that it's not just... God is there when we're at church and when we're doing something that we see as spiritual or just when we're doing devotions. But my hope was that I would be living a life and trying to model a life where they would see the life of God in the everyday. So, so good. Lisa. I so wanted to be a cultivator and I didn't know that word. And, uh, <laughs> and I so wanted the life of God in my children, but I wasn't sure what that looked like. Mm. So I took my cues from what I saw in my church body, which were people that looked like they had it all together and they had their children um, in matching little outfits and they brought them into Sunday school. And I was really just happy to have underwear on my children. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> clean or not, you know, it was, my bar was a little different, and I, I wanted so badly to impart that life of Christ in them, and in my head, before they came along, what that looked like were family devotions and spiritually kind of things, Christian-y kind of things. I didn't know what it looked like when stuff really got messy. Yeah. And... So I um, did the best of I, uh, that I could at the time and was raising my family in a Southern culture where it was important, it seemed to be important what they had on and how they acted. Do you, do you mean like matching bows and, and lace the and ruffles, shoes? And, the, yeah. the, the, the whole thing. And that wasn't happening at my house. Um, <laughs> So it, it became very disruptive and exposing, especially when you have a special needs child who doesn't care about the rules. And it became an amazing disruption, an amazing gift of mm. our, in our lives. Mm. I, I wanna ask both of you guys to say more about this because sometimes I think when you hear a phrase like the life of God, it's easy to get something that looks like the life of God, but actually is just a veneer. It's just the appearance. And so we, we, we try to do all, make all our efforts towards the shell, but we've missed the heart of it, right? So we have some friends and mentors that say, we don't just want to impart the Christian life to our children. We want to impart the life of Christ. And so we don't just want them to be around Christian things and, and Christian music. We want them to actually have... So, so say a bit more about that. Beyond um, the moments that are the, the obvious moments of when we're praying with them or reading the Bible, where does the life of God show up? Or where does the chance to impart the life of God show up when we're with our kids? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind to me is some of those moments that are usually inconvenient mm -hmm. when um, something troubling happens or a child comes to you and confesses that they lied about something or just wherever those moments of connection. Not our kids. Not I mean, no. Kids, just, not, I mean, they're all up here in the front or someone else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I think those are the moments when I feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to, to lean into this. And it's, it's usually when you're thinking, oh, I have so many things to do. I don't have time for this right now. Um, 
but to where I'll feel like, okay, this is a moment to connect, to, to show them what, to be, to lean in and show them what does God look like? How, how would Jesus respond here? Would he shame them for what they're telling me or would he lean in and extend kindness and love and mercy? Um, yeah. Yeah. Lisa. I think it can, like you said, it's always the inconvenient life lesson, um, timing, and that you want to invite them in for them to know that Jesus is in this with us, mm. not waiting for you to clean up your act and get it Good. together, but he is here with us in this moment, in this time, and it might be something as simple as praying for enough money to have the vacation that that you all want to go on, for them to be able to see the everyday, um, because we didn't have nice, clean family devotions. And, and so the lessons of where Jesus came in was when you had to offer um, mercy and forgiveness in areas and in places on the school ground and with those moms and those boys, those boys that taunted my boy, you know, I was not having that. And, and so, um, they saw me, they knew me in my raw form, and and then got to watch me invite Jesus into that when I could. Yeah. Both of you have alluded to this, and I know, you know, this is a powerful thing to say out loud, that part of the gift that we give is not our perfection, but that we point them towards Christ. We point them to the perfect one. And, we, and, and even if it means our own transparency of saying, I need forgiveness just as much as you do, and I have to confess as much as you do. So, Holly, I know you had a question for Lisa you wanted to ask her about. Yeah. Um, Lisa, what do you think has been the most difficult part of trying to cultivate this life of God in your kids? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think when I thought about this question, um, that I got stuck, that I had an image in my head mm. of what I thought marriage would be, what I thought raising children would be, mm. and it wasn't even close to that. It was so much messier, mm. and it was so much harder, and it required so much more of me to digger, digger deep, dig, dig deeper. deeper. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> thank you. And, um, and that was really, not what I had in mind. Uh, so when my dreams and my visions of what it was going to look like were dashed, and it was really, can I say poop on Sunday morning? Okay. We have the 9 a.m. service that went well. So okay, okay, so we can cut and edit. But it, it is such a stage in parents, especially young, uh, parenting, when you're wiping all the time, you're wiping a nose, you're wiping a counter, you're wiping poop. And, um, and it was such a, a picture of what my life looked like. And I thought, I'm stuck. I don't know how. Mm. And I got really stuck in the how to do it well. I don't know if that was shame or comparison, and I think that young moms now have so much more to um, push against as far as the shame and comparison because it's highlighted. And yeah. On, yeah, social on, media. Yeah, yeah. Social media, yeah. it's all over the place. And then it's all over the place of how to do it really well and beautifully with a ribbon on it. And so I don't know if I got stuck 
with shame and comparison, but I did get stuck in not like feeling like I wasn't enough, that I couldn't pull this off, that it wasn't the dream and the expectation that I had. And so therefore, what was I gonna do with it? And it took me a while before I was able to move into the who. Who is Jesus mm. in this story? Mm. So good. That's so good because I think for so many of us, and think about this, guys. You, you, you might be a single person. You're saying, well, I got friendships. I'm in discipleship relationships, and I don't know the how of how to help. How do I help? And, and what Lisa's just said to us is, at some point, we have to move from the how to the who and to say, well, who's Jesus in all of this? And, and I think one of you said this morning earlier about the temptation to not be or to try to be your kid's savior, to try to, to, to realize that you're not the person that will do all this. So let me, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, yeah. I think ultimately um, I've had to, you know, this is not, it's a process of continuing to trust the Lord for, for their trust in him, for their life in him, that nothing I can do will make sure that that happens. There's no formula that I can follow that will ensure that. Um, and it's not, it's not a one and done, I trust you, Lord, and it's over, but it's a constant thing of, Lord, I know that they are yours. They're yeah. not actually mine, yeah. that you've given them to me in this season to raise them and to be their parents, but ultimately, it's your Holy Spirit that will mm. draw them and lead them, and mm. it's a constant coming back to trusting him to do that. So good. So good. Okay, final question to both of you. It's just like the Lord to be sort of sneaky about this, that while we think we are joining his work in cultivating his life somewhere else, he's actually cultivating it in us. And, uh, and this is true, you know, again, this is not, we see this really crystal clear in motherhood, but we see this in all kinds of relationships. We see it in leadership. We see it anytime we try to think we're joining God in his work, and he's like, yeah, I'm actually working on you, right? And so my question for both of you is, how has the Lord shaped you through this journey of being a mother? Okay. Um, I had to immediately reconcile who I thought Jesus was and who who is he really? Mm. And having, um, I'm, I'm getting there, having a, a family that looks differently than you thought it was going to look takes you back to what do you believe about your God? What do you believe that mm. he's in there for mm. and mm. with? And can you invite him into that? is he inviting you into something more? And I really believe that through this journey with my children and raising a special needs child, that I ask questions um, about who, who is Jesus? Who mm. is Jesus? Mm. And is he the cleaned up <laughs> version of what we see? It's, it's a Photoshopped um, version, whoever, made those illustrations in the children's Bible books, you know, of that pretty Jesus with the robe and it's clean. And he has that baby and he says, you know, let the children come to me. And he scooped one up and, and then he has a lamb in the other arm. And it's like, no, 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 that was Photoshopped. You know, that's like, those are really messy countries that yeah. he was traveling in. Yeah. They were dusty and dirty. And livestock is not always um, white and clean like that. <laughs> and, and they poop. 
can, now that I can say you it. Say it. Yes, you say it. Yes. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. And um, the children don't have diapers on. So when you're holding a child um, during that time, you were taking a risk. Mm. You were, Jesus was inviting mess. He was mm. saying, I will step into that mess with mm. you. Mm. I am here for mm. that mess, mm. not your cleaned up version. Mm. And that became more and more real to me as I had to live that out daily. So he did transform me. He transformed me in believing in a gritty God a mm. God of substance, a, a God that did not shame me and did not, he still had a plan. He still had a plan and a purpose and it was in and through the mess, not around it. Mm. Amen. 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 Very good. Very good. Gritty God is a nice, that's good. Hashtag. That's good. Oh. I think um, to tag on to that, I think what's been helpful for me is to real to kind of not that we don't want to have dreams or ideals of what something can be, but that we also believe that there's a lot of sacrifice involved mm. in something that can be really wonderful and joy-filled. But oftentimes, I think we all know whatever whatever you're walking through, that sometimes the hardest things that God has called us to do are the most difficult and the messiest. And Jesus said to his disciples, you know, things won't, trouble, yeah. yeah, we'll have trouble in this world. It's going to be difficult. But I think in our society, sometimes we want to just shove that aside and say, no, no, I'm still going to, it's going to be perfect. Or, But I think if we just allow ourselves into that a little bit of it is going to be hard but that doesn't mean that he's not there with us and that it isn't yeah. there aren't moments of joy yeah yeah um sorry one more say thing. more yeah and, say more. um i think what's also been what i've learned and what he's given me is that is if i can have this a little bit of a vision of motherhood that says that this isn't a lesser than mm -hmm. calling or because i don't have a career to stand on or awards to stand on that he's he's give it like in any job he can give you a vision for it a mission for it mm. it can be a vocation mm. something that you really believe god has called me to pour my life into yes. this yes. and i feel i've felt so much fulfillment in that, that as I've grown and learned and that I learn with them, that we read together, we grow together and they don't know what I don't know yet either. <laughs> so, um, but that that's been so fulfilling. I think if we can see it that way and that motherhood isn't just something to get through or to get past, to move mm. on to a happier, easier time in life, which I've heard doesn't really go that way anyway, uh, for a lot of people that, um, that we can find joy in that. That's so good. So good. Amen. You guys may not know this, but Holly got her master's in counseling, and shortly after we got pregnant with our first, and she made the decision to stay home. So we've always joked that she practices on us um, with her counseling. But, but, I, but I think what I want you to hear from that is that, that motherhood is not a less than sort of thing. It is, it is about bringing your best. It is about bringing your spiritual gifts to the ministry of motherhood. It is about bringing your A-game and your passion and all that. And it's about bringing your mess. And, and that's, that's, sort of, that's sort of the lesson that you're hearing from both Holly and from Lisa. Like, don't, don't, don't see the season as a wasted one. 
See it as one that you can bring your best to. And don't see it as a season that you say, well, I don't have much to bring. Bring your mess to it as well. And we serve a God who will take the best that we have and the mess that we have and make it more than enough to do his work in our families and in the people around us. Amen. And I want for all of you in the room who are at different seasons, maybe you're single in the room and you're married or you're married, you don't have kids. This isn't just a parenting thing. Again, for all the women in the room, we want to pray for you in just a moment as well uh, to recognize and to welcome the embrace, uh, to embrace the, the particular way in which you can join God in his work of cultivating life his life in the world. And so I want to ask Holly to pray for several uh, different or, or a couple of different things this morning. First of all, I want to ask all the mothers in the room to stand so that we can celebrate you and honor you this morning. Would you stand, moms in the room? <laughs> stay standing. Yes, yeah, stay standing if you would. Stay standing, stay standing if you would, moms. Yep, stay standing. And then, and then I want to invite to join you all the women in the room, all the women of New Life Downtown. We celebrate you. We mark the uniqueness of what God has called you to. And, and Brian, as the worship team comes this morning, I want Holly to pray over... There's several things this morning. First, to, to pray for the moms, to pray that God would continue to give you strength and, and joy and the particular challenges that you're facing in your best and in your mess. And then I want uh, to pray over all the women in the room, whatever season that you're in, that, that you would find the, the unique aspects of your calling and the unique uh, places in which you can contribute and cultivate uh, to the life of God wherever you are. And then I want to pray for those two who are dealing with uh, or have heavy hearts this morning. Maybe you've lost a mother. Maybe you didn't have a mother who quite cultivated this in you. Maybe that wasn't your story uh, growing up. And so you really didn't have a pattern or a model or an experience of that. Or maybe for some of you, you're, 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 uh, there's sadness today because you've lost a child. Uh, we know a few in our church family for whom that is true. And, or maybe there's sadness because the experience or the gift of motherhood has been delayed or one that has not happened yet for you for whatever reason. Listen, I, the script, I know it's difficult to name all of these different emotions, and it would be much easier to just pick one, but the scriptures tell us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. We can do complex emotions on a Sunday morning, right? We can do this. We're the family of God together. And so I want Holly to pray over all of the women in the house this morning. Would you just kind of open up your hands and receive this blessing today? Lord, we thank you for all of the women who are here today, Lord. We pray for mothers, Lord, those who are currently raising their kids and those who are about to launch or maybe empty nesters, Lord. We know that as mothers, we will always have that role. And I just pray, Lord, that you would give these mothers rest and restoration, renewal, Lord, for all that they give out, Lord, for all their sacrifices, Lord, um, emotionally and in their bodies and spiritually, Lord. Um, I pray that you grant them strength and yes. wisdom and grace, Lord, every day, that they would lean in and listen to your Holy Spirit, Lord, leading them and guiding them um, about which path to take and those little decisions and how to love and extend kindness and grace to their kids, Lord. 
I pray for those women in the room today who desire to have a child, but that has not happened yet, Lord. And I just ask, Lord, that you would fulfill that desire, Lord, whether it's biologically or through adoption, whatever means, Lord, that you would bring that to them, Lord. And then I pray that you would um, bring peace to their hearts, Lord, in the waiting. The waiting can yeah. be so difficult, Lord. And just ask that somehow you bring peace to their hearts as they continue to pray and ask and wait. We pray for those women, Lord, who've lost a child, Lord. I ask that you continue to bring healing if it's a newer thing or maybe it's been years, Lord, but that you continue to heal their hearts, Lord, to bring peace, to cause them to walk in the fulfillment of their calling, Lord. I pray for those women in the room who it's a difficult day, Lord, where maybe their mothers have passed, or maybe it's a strained relationship, or there's there's women here who aren't here because it's Mother's Day, and it's so challenging and so difficult, Lord. I pray that they would sense your presence and your peace today, yes. Lord. And I pray for all the women in the room, Lord. You, Lord. There are many, all of us are spiritual mothers in different yes. ways, Lord. I pray that you would help the women here to cultivate life wherever they are, as Glennon said, with roommates, with spouses, with extended family, with coworkers, Lord, that you would give all of us as women a vision of how we can extend your life, Lord, in the kingdom, of how we can be kingdom bearers on this earth, Lord. I pray that you help us to see how we can love and extend kindness and grace and mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.